Hi, and welcome to IndieWire's Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. My name is Crystal Fault, I'm the editor of The Toolkit, and my guest today is the writer and director of the wonderful new Netflix film, Marriage Story, Noah Baumbach. Uh, you know, I, I had a teacher who used to, and she ended up writing a book about this, about how you can't make films about marriage. It's a, it's, there's, a, there's, a, there's an element of conflict, there's an element of story, and she, and she kind of looked back at old Hollywood stuff. I only bring this up because it's very interesting. I, I, of course, always believe that. But what's interesting is, is that almost in making a film about divorce, you ended up making a film about a marriage and a love story to a certain degree. I mean, and, and I almost wanted to send this to Janine and say, hey, I think, I think Noah Baumbach just proved you wrong here <laughs> with this and that, and that element of and in, this is being billed as a divorce story. But that in the end of the day, it, there's a love story here and also a story about a, a marriage and a way of telling it. Well, first of all, I'm glad I didn't read that book before I embarked on this. Uh, yeah, I, I was looking at an, looking for a new way to tell a love story, uh, and and uh, um, and it, it, it actually, I'd be interested to know. Actually, now I would be interested in reading her book now that you told me about it. But I because many of you know, if you go back to old Hollywood, those comedies of remarriage, you know, the the sort of screwball comedy format of of often of people coming apart to come back together kind of it was Stanley Cavell wrote a really interesting book called Pursuits of Happiness about that theme in screwball comedy in 30s and 40s and um, in a sense I sort of saw that as a predecessor to what I was setting out to do Um, in a sense I saw that as a as a as a predecessor to what I set out to do, but without the remarriage part, you know, that, that, mm-hmm. that they were going to remain apart. Um, but in a sense, the structure is not wholly different than those, you know, the awful truth or uh, um, Palm Beach story or, you know, movies of, of, of that time, which I guess I consider about marriage. That's why I'm be curious to read her book. I mean, that, that's kind of, she actually gets into a lot of that. But, but that's the thing, though, is that there's an element here of, I imagine, even once you had your elements, how you were going to structure this, right? Because there is a very present day, it's about, what, it's about 14, 15 months is this story, the, the, the arc mm-hmm. of the, 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 something like that. And so there is very much this arc of Charlie and Nicole getting divorced. But then I imagine hard, part of this becomes how, how, how and when to look back and how to structure that. I, I don't know if that's something that was just kind of baked into when you sat down to write or if that was a tricky thing to figure out. When you say look back, you mean? Um, how to build in the story of their marriage. Of their marriage yeah. itself. Well, I think in, in what was baked into the story once I dis- discovered it was because in a, in a sense, I mean, on one hand, of course, divorce is about is, is about endings. It's about division. It's about uh, separation. Uh, but the subject is the past. It's you know. So it's it's it it it, it can often you know you uh, it's 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 a very complex uh, situation because you have people who are both trying to move forward, uh, but the the system that is essentially supposed to help them get there keeps them freezes time in a way I mean it's or tries to it it, it, it kind of takes over and and uh, makes it very difficult to move forward and at the same time you're reflecting on the past the whole time because you're still married mm-hmm. you're, you're not married you're not you're not divorced until you're divorced so while you go through the divorce you, you remain married and uh, so that was 
those all those kind of s- sort of seemingly conflicting elements offered me a lot of opportunity in the script narratively, you know, even though we move forward in a chronological fashion. Uh, but it, it did uh, provide me with opportunity to at least give you a sense of the marriage, even while telling the story of the divorce. It's weird. I, this might be a weird segue, but in watching the movie again last night for the second time, it's hard for me to separate the tone in that sense of both a memory of a love and 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 kind of the melancholy of that, but also the the love itself from from the work of Randy Newman mm-hmm. in in the score. Um, in ways that you know, I'm not going to embarrass myself trying to add words to it, but it's hard mm-hmm. for me to separate that balance that you have in this movie from the score. And I'm, I'm curious. I know he did the piano work in the in the last film, but I'm wondering how much of that is something that start a collaboration that started early, thinking about that early. Because I, it, it, I, I'm sure the movie does work if you took Randy's work out, but it feels to me that that is a lot of the connective tissue of the emotional part in terms of that melancholy and the love. Absolutely, and 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 that's where the fact that we had worked together already was was uh, a huge uh, importance to me because I could I could then just send him the script at the you know at a very early stage and and get his him thinking about it and and and, and bring him in because I felt like that you know that, that while on one hand the the structure of the movie and the the rhythms of the dialogue and uh, uh, has a musicality to it for sure. It needed an actual musical component, and I wanted a score that was uh, that for me was big. I mean, Randy would say this was the smallest orchestra he's ever recorded with. It was a chamber orchestra. It's about it was like thirty to fifty people, depending on the the, the cues. And um, but for me, it was the first time I've really done what, you know, it worked within the sort of tradition of what I guess I would think of as a kind of movie score, yeah. uh, you know, an orchestral movie score. And and I wanted to, I felt that the characters should be honored by the music in a sense and, and, and embraced by it. And um, we talked a lot about the music of George Delarue, uh, a great French composer who worked with Truffaut and Godard and uh, he did some American movies too, but he um, uh, and and the music itself, which is lush and romantic and it's beautiful, it's complex. Uh, uh, I, I used a lot of his actual scores in Francis Ha, um, but I what Randy and I talked a lot about was how those those a lot of that music can be used and is used throughout in those movies. Uh, n- never is underscore. It's always a, a kind of companion to the movie or a reaction to the movie that isn't. Uh, it, it's like you could have the same piece play in a in a kind of you know scene of delight or joy and play again in, in a scene of sadness, and it accompanies both equally beautifully. It's it's it doesn't it, it there's nothing literal about it. It's it's somehow um, uh, uh, and 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 also what 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 I love about the way particularly Truffaut uses it is that that it almost it, it almost seems to come out of the movie. It's it's like it's like a a flower 
that 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 suddenly blooms at at, at any given moment. It it doesn't, you know, it doesn't. You don't feather it in in the way that you know that often movie music is feathered into things. It it almost sort of it it, it just announces itself like I'm here too, and uh, and I really um, I really love that. It, um, uh, particularly the, how he uses it in Two English Girls. Um, and so Randy and I talked about that as well, and we also recorded the music um, not dissimilarly to the way Delarue recorded um, the, the, the music in the 60s and 70s, which was uh, Randy's engineer, uh, a man named David Butcher, who's uh, just just really uh, uh, so brilliant musically, and he he sort of studied it and... and we he he had these ribbon mics which would bring in more of the room uh and and he also discovered that the alfred newman stage which coincidentally and not so coincidentally is i should say is is uh, randy's uncle's oh. stage at fox um <laughs> where randy first went in when he was five you know and alfred newman had run the music department at fox he's something like 15 oscars or something and you you go there and there are all these photos of him with elvis and you know Judy Garland. I mean, it's just amazing. These studios sometimes have like the history of the movies that are shot in yeah. them. I don't. I don't think I've been to a Fox one, but I've seen it where it's like the. You could see everything right when you enter. You could see everything that was shot. There. Right, and this is all the stuff that was recorded there. So you have all these incredible Sinatra yeah. and and uh, and Randy told me he, he was he first went to the stage when he was five years old. You know, to see his uncle conduct and mm-hmm. and so already you know <laughs> your your mind is blown. Um, but uh, but we we the room I guess is not dissimilar to many of the rooms that Delarue recorded in. So we were able to kind of capture something there too. That uh, you know I think the, the the feeling was so that the recording wouldn't feel like so crisp, like it's it's uh, you know that it, you'd feel the room, you'd feel the hands on the instruments, you feel kind of a human element in there. Each one of your films requires a different different language, different. I mean, I, we we can watch them. We can all see the uh, their Noah Baumbach films, but they all they all call for something a little bit different. And I, I'm curious about this one. If we were just talking about the fact that it needed, you felt it needed a score, like you hadn't used used score quite that same way. I'm wondering, in terms of the camera and in terms of the visuals, um, it felt to me like this one needed something. It, it, it's something that I hadn't seen necessarily from you. I saw different touches of different references we can get into, but. I'm curious just overall if, if if it felt like something that you wanted to shoot a little bit differently than your previous films. Yeah, well, I, I it there was, and I think this this goes with what I was saying about how how I wanted the music to to be a companion in some sense and also to kind of embrace the characters. I I I felt that close-ups were going to be very important in this movie in in a way that I I have not used them before in the past I, I i i you know just take a movie like um greenberg or francis ha um uh i i, I always sort of approach those movies not dissimilarly to like thinking them in of them in a kind of like charlie chaplin or buster keaton way of of, of a character who's kind of in on one one way to look at it is a character who's sort of lost in their environment. I mean, they're lost inside too, but the the environment can represent that cinematically for us. And I always felt it was important to kind of see the world around them. So there aren't a lot of close-ups in those movies or when we do use close-ups it's it, 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 it 
you know, tends to be at a very particular moment. Um, uh, there was also, I felt, having Ben Stiller and Greta Gerwig, who are both um, incredible dramatic actors, but also incredible comedians. Um, uh, and, 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 you know, Greta particularly has such a great physicality. I, I'd always wanted to see her, and she plays a dancer in that movie, that there was always a, there was always a, a, a sort of sense of dance in that movie, too, where, where I want, you always wanted to, to, again, sort of see them in space. Um, and with this movie, um, I felt because it, it's very much about perspective and it's a two-hander that I wanted to be often be in there with them. And you have two actors who have amazing faces and also can convey such inner life in silence. With very little. Very I think, little. I would say that was the... I was, I've been thinking about this a lot with Adam for the last couple of years, but it, last night watching again, I, I was also thinking about it in terms of Scarlet. They, they really give very little in terms of a facial reaction that they need to be read. Mm-hmm. And it almost, almost sometimes, especially with the Adam character, fits in this kind of way he is. And I, I wonder if that's kind of what you were talking about there, because they are... You were talking about Greta, you know, someone, it's, it's, it's like that character is so much uh, in its cadence and its flow. And and there's something about them that's ve- they give so little and yet can express so much. Yeah. Um, absolutely. I mean, and the, there's also a certain aspect of, of uh, or a certain, I should say, part of the movie where they essentially lose their voices as well. I mean, we hear, we hear uh, arguments presented on their behalves, but they're from, they, it's coming from these sort of avatars of the, the lawyers that, you know, that have, have, that are representing them. And, and uh, we, we thought about that very specifically in the, the um, sort of the first, legal showdown or maybe don't call it a showdown when it involved Bert Spitz uh, <laughs> representing Adam but 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 the first sort of attempt at mediation and we're in we're in Nora's conference room and um uh and we start on these close-ups of of Scarlett and Adam and then we move just we move start to move a little bit further away and a little bit further away but throughout that we I, I, I saw it as almost like we were editorially as if we were editing a a scene across a table of two people talking to each other, but what we see is they're not talking to each other. They're it's it's we just hear it's the lawyers talking to each other who are at the same table, but but um, uh, not visible at that moment. So the I, I thought it was a way to sort of bring you into this notion of 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 kind of of of, of losing you know losing a voice in some way and. Uh, and so, um, as a result, though, we're very much on these faces, as you point out. And, uh, you know, it really is remarkable what the two of them do, because it's, it's you, you, you can project so much onto them and the audience uh, can. Uh, uh, and, you know, in some sense, these words, the, the lawyer's words almost become like as if they were inner monologue or something like that. But something is going on in their faces that is suggests something else. And. Um, and you know, that kind of complexity, it's, it's once we had that structure and those actors, it, it, it provided us so much, 
so much opportunity. Am I wrong? I mean, there's an Easter egg in this thing, which if anybody has seen scenes from a marriage, I mean, it's, it's, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful little kind of in thing with the uh, interview there. But so there is that, but am I, am I wrong even beyond that to feel a little bit of Bergman here in that and, mm-hmm. and more so maybe than I, I, I do in your other films? Um, we, Robbie Ryan, uh, cinematographer, uh, uh, he and I looked at persona, um, uh, for, for this very reason, because of the, of the portraiture in that movie. And, you know, I mean, I think, I mean, the most amazing filming of faces and, and, and not just close-ups, even faces in relationship to each other, the, the, the sort of stacking of bodies and, and, and people in space, people in their rooms, uh, in, in, you know, how, how do people, two people in a room, sit together you know that's already an interesting thing it's, you know and, and something Bergman just was so uh brilliant at it. and and so how not only how does the camera f- shoot them but also how are they how are the actors in relation to each other and that movie is all about you know sort of two uh, you know, two two versions of the same person. I mean, there's so there's so many w- ways to read that movie, which I don't even know that I even know still what that movie's really about. Um, uh, it's a movie I watch all the time, and I find something new, and I and it also thwarts my. Never feel like you own it. You, yeah, you, yeah, you, yeah. I can it's, tell you what this is about. It's constantly mm-hmm. elusive yeah. in yeah. the best way. I mean, I think yeah. it's it it's it's. Is near a perfect movie as probably as possible, um, but we th- there's also great uh, there are great wides in that movie as well. I mean, it's sort of the um, and I had Greta and I went in, uh, uh, a few years ago to uh, the island Fora, which oh, you uh, went to the and which was just a great experience, and it also changed my my way of seeing the movie because of course earlier before I'd been there the environment felt almost felt mysterious it felt as mysterious as as, as a lot of that movie does uh, but suddenly I saw it as a like a, a great a specific place you know a place that was his home a place that um, suddenly found found like I was like well what a great location movie uh, uh, so that was even another element and of course location is a big part of of marriage story with you know New York and Los Angeles you know that was that was actually the next thing I was going to talk about was that you know there's lots of jokes here about you know oh LA the space and as a New Yorker I, I, I do chuckle about that because one, one gets that constantly but there is an element and we'll start with the Charlie character of what that space means to him and, 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 and one feels him lost in, in that space. And I guess we could jump into it. There's also a sense of, um, one sees how much Nicole thrives in that space. So it is a mm-hmm. little bit of a joke. It's like a, the, the bi-coastal thing, but there is something baked into this in the sense of how you use space. And I, I'm, your wonderful production designer, Jade Healy was talking about this in that sense that this was something that was a very clear discussion of, how we wanted, how you wanted each of them to experience Los Angeles. Yeah, yeah, and um, and because of the, I mean, part of this was just dictated by the narrative of the story. Is that much of what they, uh, much of the 
location work in Los Angeles, or the, the, the places we find them in are indoors. So there's all this talk of the space in Los Angeles, but we often see it out the window. It's a kind of elusive, uh, it's almost like a painting or something. And, and, and it's magnificent. I mean, you, you're in these con- you know, conference rooms or, or, or lawyers' offices, and you, uh, there's something both on, on one hand that might seem so hermetic and kind of, you know, there's even a sense of menace in those rooms. I mean, there, there, there are these sort of rooms that are designed to be impersonal um, and uh, and you're going through something so personal you know these characters are going through the most personal thing which is their 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 marriage is being you know kind of spilled out onto the table but you're they're in these rooms that are that feel like they could almost be and some of them feel like they'd be almost be in science fiction movies and and yet there's this promise of of landscape outside and that was something we Jade and Robbie and I talked a lot about which was that you know that we given you know the the kind of grandeur of Los Angeles we we were often going to be in either cars or offices or um, uh, uh, courtrooms you know places in the case of the courtroom have no windows at all Um, so uh, um, or, or, or Charlie's apartment too. It's another. Um, uh, there was we had we had to talk a lot. It goes to the L.A. New York thing too. Is also becomes this argument about home and 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 identity. It's sort of being represented by a place, you know, which you know I think is common for people to feel. Um, while of course this sort of notion of what is home is changing throughout the movie, and you know we. Uh, you know, we have the, the home that they live in, you know, with, with Henry in, uh, in New York and Park Slope, Brooklyn at the beginning of the movie. And then you have Nicole's childhood home where her mom is, you know, and another kind of home, a home of another time, which if you're an adult waking up in your childhood room by your mother has different meaning than if you're a child. Um, and then we have all these transitional spaces that are very unhomey uh these these uh if that's a word we have these uh offices as i was uh, talking about um and so of of course i felt in a sense of this sort of sense of like well uh you know these 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 spaces and these places become so important and so and and the lawyers use them as chits and you know but this but home of course is something else too and that's the you know in part what the movie's about this is uh i think you've been working with uh your editor jennifer lane since um i think francis ha mm-hmm. and yeah. you know i don't know i i was doing a little research for this and i maybe this is how you've worked before but i i didn't i had not heard this your collaboration with her starts before shooting and you're going over and i don't i don't know if that was unique to marriage story and the fact that you do have these transitions you have a very you're telling a story over a period of time and it's not chaptered like some of some other like your previous film i'm just curious about why, if that's something you guys always do but also you know why why you know what types of conversations are you having about marriage story in terms of needing her input before you start shooting well i it's something we've um I'd say I guess we've come to probably around the time of while we're young or, or at some point I, I, I where I um, you know I would I've, I've started giving her the script 
at, at, at an early stage often I mean usually I, I, I guess at the point where I'm first showing people uh, you know people who I show my scripts to uh, the you know the, the sort of first draft that you know on some level is a bit unruly and needs a little more shaping and you haven't quite solved it but it's you know it's in a place that you you feel like you need the feedback and I'll give it to Jen then and and what we'll sort of set out to do is is kind of edit the script the way we will ultimately edit the movie and I find it uh uh incredibly helpful not only having her voice and input at an early stage anyway because she'll have great ideas that aren't even necessarily editorial specific. I mean, they might be just sort of like character ideas or things or narrative ideas uh, about adding things. Um, or, uh, but, uh, but we also are kind of, um, uh, it's like the editorial before the editorial. And, and then I, I involve her throughout the shoot as well. I will talk, I'll, I, I, I start my day in the car if you know, if in LA in the car on the way to work in New York, maybe I'd be walking sometimes. Um, uh, where I call her and and talk about the day ahead, so that we go through the same way I will with Robbie. Uh, we will go through what we're shooting that day mm-hmm. and kind of where it fits in in the, you know because you're often shooting out of order. It's like where it fits in the in the movie at large and how I'm thinking of approaching it, how what Robbie and I are thinking of doing, how I've been working with the actors. And it, she just, it's great to get her feedback about, you know, does that ring true with the movie she thinks we're making? You know, because ultimately, um, uh, you know, we want to be making the same movie. And, and then at lunch, I will go call her again and we will talk about the dailies if we've shot on film, it's the dailies from two days ago. Um, and we'll, we'll go over those and sort of what was it, what she expected, you know, was it, what were things that surprised her or different or, um, or things she feels we didn't get that we should get. And, uh, uh, and all of, I found, I find that conversation and really now indispensable. I, 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 uh, can't imagine kind of doing it another way but that's something I think we found kind of organically probably because I just ended up kept I just kept calling her (laughs) (laughs) organically as if I call her yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) let's talk about the um the big 10 minute scene the you know you you describe very well how they are kind of pushed apart and then they come together after their lawyers have have had it out and it, it turns in well if people see the movie which is usually when people listen to this podcast will know exactly what scene we're talking about how precise it's cut and shot in such an interesting way how much and i think it's a 10 minute scene i mean you know better yeah, than it's i do 10 minutes yeah. how much of of that is something that you have plotted out in terms of those cuts and and, and the changes of shots and, and things like that is that was that something that you really dialed in that that intensely on for that because it feels that way watching it yeah yeah i mean it's it's very designed and choreographed and and uh the work with the actors is all you know there's there's a lot of rehearsal that goes into it both Mm -hmm. uh in rehearsal spaces which is usually more about like just getting used to the language of the scene because the language is all specific very specific the overlaps are specific where they overlap where they don't um uh if they are overlapping where they come in um uh and 
so it's there's a certain musicality there that that the that the actors um you know i find it's it, it get used to hearing from each you know and playing off each other because it's they'll they'll know their lines but then they you know it's different when you're Singing, you're singing with somebody else in a sense yeah and so then uh we we moved into the location again all this before we started shooting um and we rehearsed it in the location and in the beginning i'll have some kind of ideas robbie and i have sort of robbie and i will have shot listed the the scene in advance um but of course it's based on a kind of fantasy version of it so that that will all adjust and the script supervisor renetta was there so she's taking everything down, mark, marking the blocking, marking all the, any little changes to the shot list. Mm-hmm. Um, and so there, the, the scene really starts to take shape. I think what helped a, a lot with the blocking in that sequence is that I discovered that it kind of, in, in, in a sense, was emblematic of the relationship, which is he, she's, she's more there than he is. So she's sort of keeps approaching him trying to get him to look and talk about focus on what's going on he's deflecting he's walking away a lot and then it's of course shifts when he starts walking forward when he comes to her when he's pulled into it and can't help himself and then you see there the cost for him you know you understand why he's been deflecting why it's hard for him to confront uh because he doesn't want to acknowledge these things. And that's so it's it's in a sense. And when you can find physical movement for the actors, that's also is both is also story. It's also character. Then it, it, it you know, it, it um, uh, you know, that's the goal in, in a sequence like this. And then Robbie and I have ideas, too. And so all of the all of the blocking is set. And and I, I've likened it to sh- like almost to how I imagine complicated action sequences are 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 composed. You know you, that you want to kind of know as much as possible because because once you start shooting, you know it's it's going to be alive in in a, in a certain sense. And and so you know there's there is a kind of safety net built around this whole th- sequence so that the actors can then feel as comfortable and be as present and alive as possible and not have to worry about the burden of the other stuff. Um, but uh, likewise, Jen will be part of that as well. Um, uh, Jade will come into that as well because it's the, the location and what's in the location is going to also affect how things are. Adam was talking in an inter- interview uh, earlier today, actually, it was the first time I'd heard him talk about this, um, that, you know, for him, you know, doing these takes repeatedly, uh, sometimes, you know, he, new things would activate different reactions or feelings for him. And one of the things was having Henry's drawings in frames up on the wall. Like sometimes he would look at it and see it anew and it would provide a different emotion for him. And and so if you can, if all of these things are working together, uh, Mark Bridges, the costume designer, you're looking at... Uh, you know, two people in a mostly white space walking around. So what they're wearing, where, where is their color? Where is their not? Where are they part of the, where, where do they fade into the location? Where do they come out of the location? You know, that's all, all of those things uh, come into play. Um, and, you know, the goal is that they, you know, there's of course aesthetic value, but there's also that it's all really that it's storytelling. Um, 
and uh, you know finding that location too. The, this is something Jade, uh, Robbie, and I were all were, were kind of looked for in 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 almost all of our locations was sort of this notion of because there is this notion of performance in the movie. You know, they're they're theater people. We start early on. We're in a play. Um, we all, we saw sort of performance elements in all the locations. For instance, the their their home in in Brooklyn has a kind of proscenium arch. You know that you step up and mm-hmm. you see them when they come home to the babysitter. Um, you know, of course, like the the courtroom is a stage. You know, the lawyers become uh, the sort of uh, heavy irony in the movies. The lawyers become the performers. You know, when and the performers become silent. Um, uh, and uh, the Sandra's kitchen, you know, the, with the when they serve the papers, there's all the ins and outs. It's it's there's a kind of backstage sense of backstage and a, and a sense of you know uh, almost drawing room comedy of going in, and and that was again another form of performance in their actors. So they're also performing or rehearsing in their minds a uh, so, uh, something. Um, likewise, Charlie's apartment had. Um, it was actually much harder to find such a crappy apartment because than you would think in Hollywood. I'm, th- there are many of them, but there weren't many that provided the space that we could, you know, that I felt we needed to, because to, we were going to be in there for 11 minutes or 10 minutes um, all at once. I mean, were there even longer in the movie? Um, that sort of what I almost thought is a split screen, you know, or you could say it's a kind of bifurcated set in a play with the way the kitchen and the living room. So people are in two separate rooms. We can see them separately. They can still hear each other, but they can't always see each other, but we can see both of them. That was also an, an important element. And um, to be a crappy apartment. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, um, this is a wonderful film. Congratulations on it. And um, yeah, it's, uh, I think by the time people hear this, it's still playing in theaters. It was wonderful to see it at the Paris here in New York. And it's going to be in theaters through the rest of the month into December and then Netflix on uh, December 6th, and I ev- think. And even when on Netflix, it will still be in theaters. That's there, it. there we go. Thank you very much, Noah. Thanks a lot. Mm-hmm.